The reading for today is from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. We invite you to turn there right now if you have a Bible or if you have a phone, you can locate a Bible on there. Again, it's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truth that you reveal through your word. We pray that we wouldn't just get it with our minds, that we would get it with our hearts. Thank you for preparing our D to bring your message to us, God. I just pray that you would prepare us, our minds, our hearts to receive the truth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Becky. Well, you're already there in Luke chapter um, 14, and um, it's a powerful passage, and uh, I wanted Becky to read it. She is uh, on staff here at the church and also a pretty good Bible teacher herself. Uh, so thanks, thanks Becky, for, for that. So, um, man, this, uh, this is a, a heavy text. This is a, a serious text. Uh, you cannot read this and come away thinking that the call of Jesus on your life or my life is anything but very, uh, very serious. And so we're finishing up our follow series. Uh, we've been in it for four weeks, and we're still on the gospel of, of Luke. And my name's R.D., and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's great to uh, be with you all. You're visiting your first time, uh, if it's your 100th time, wherever you are, I'm glad that you're here in the chapel, in the foundry, in Sprecher, uh, up north, wherever you are online, however you're watching it, we're glad that, uh, glad that you're here. Well... This is quite a dramatic way to end, our, to end our, our follow series. And we're looking at kind of a famous passage where Jesus begins to kind of separate the crowds that are following him uh, from the true disciples, those who are truly want to follow him for the long, the long haul. And so we want to look at how did, how did Jesus market himself? 
uh, which may not be you know, the best, most spiritual way to say it, but, but how did he kind of sell his mission? How did he market himself? What were the things that he said that he did? And so we want to look, break down this passage kind of verse by verse and hopefully uh, find really what it means to follow Jesus. What do we have to give up? What do we gain? What's it look like to follow Jesus? Well, verse 25 begins this way. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turns to them and he says something. So the first thing is that Jesus has large crowds with him. So Luke 14 is getting towards the end of Jesus' life, the end of his ministry. So he's been going all around Palestine, visiting people, healing people, miracles are being uh, performed. And of course, there are going to be large crowds there. Tons of people are just enamored with Jesus. They're, they're amazed at his teaching, but they're really amazed by the miracles, by what he's doing because he's healing people, he's resurrecting people, and they want to be near him. And so he's kind of a celebrity. And so all these people are around him. And so you're thinking, man, if everyone's around you, he's kind of at the height of his popularity. What do you say to the people to encourage them in that moment? Right? I'm so, if it was me, I have all these people around me. I'd want to try and get even more people around me because it just feels good when you're popular, right? It's nice to be at the center of attention. Right? You may say, well, no, I need to be humble. And of course you do. But deep down, isn't there a party that says, man, I'd love to have a crowd follow me? You would. And you're lying. I know you're lying if you say you wouldn't. Some part of you says that'd be nice. And so Jesus has all these crowds around him. And what does he say to them? Well, he doesn't seem to sell himself for the mission very well. This is what he says. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay, so the crowds are happy. They're excited. They're feeling good. They're feeling great. And Jesus says, you can't, if you come to me, you have to hate everything in your life and your own life in order to follow me or you cannot be my disciple. The people probably quiet down thinking, what, doesn't he want us to follow him? Isn't that the point of this whole thing? He's trying to get followers. Why is this teaching so difficult, right? Is that what you would say if you're trying to build a movement, if you're trying to build an organization, right? You're starting a business, okay? And in the sales pitches, you say, hey, only way you can be into this business. If you want to start a restaurant, uh, right, start an online business, that you've got to hate everyone in your life. You've got to hate your own life. Be all in for this thing or just, you know, forget about it. Most people, every, everyone would be like, I'm going to forget about it because I love my kids. I love my life. I don't want to do that. But Jesus is not interested in the quantity of disciples. He's interested in the quality of disciples. He's not interested in just a numeric mass of people around him. He wants to separate those who truly want to follow him as their Lord, as their Savior. And so we want to just do a couple things here is look at four elements of being a disciple in verses 26 and 27. Verse 27 says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So that there's more to being a disciple than just these two verses. But just from these verses, I just want to look at, at four marks of, of a disciple of Jesus. And a disciple just means learner. That's what the word literally means. It's someone who's learning to follow someone else. Right? And so what do we, how can we learn really to be like Jesus? And that's what we want to do. Right? Paul says that the purpose of your and my life is to be conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus. And so one day when we are in the presence of Jesus in the new heaven and new earth, we will fully, fully look like him. And so the process, though, begins now where Jesus is shaping us into the image of himself. So the four elements of being a disciple from these two verses, right? Not exhaustive list. This is not everything it means. But four things from here 
Um, number one, um, called by God the Father. A disciple is someone who's been called by God the Father. Number two, a disciple is someone who loves Jesus first, right? Uh, number three, a disciple is someone who carries his or her cross. Number four, and kind of goes with all of them, but number four is a bit distinct. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Okay, so we're just going to unpack these a little bit and see what kind of hopefully shakes out. So the first one is um, a disciple is someone who's called by God the Father. So this is what Jesus says. He says, turning to them in verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and so that's what we want to see. Jesus over and over again in this passage says, if anyone comes to me, if you follow me, if you come to me. And so what we want to just be clear about, though, is that it's not you and I who first make the move to Jesus. It's Jesus who first makes the move to us. And this is just clear um, in John chapter 6, verse 65. Jesus is talking again to disciples after many disciples have just deserted him. And this is what he says in verse 65 of John chapter 6. Jesus went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. So when Jesus says, come to me, he's saying, it's the Father, God the Father, who enables men and women to come to him. There is the rebirth, the renewal. God saves you, and then through that faith that he gives you, enables you to receive Jesus right into your heart, if you will. So it's not that you and I are like choosing to follow Jesus as like he's just one among many other options, but that God the Father is the one who awakens us to who the reality of who um, Jesus is. And without that calling, you and I cannot be disciples of Jesus. So, so if God has called you in his grace, th then you're a disciple. That, that's what gets you in the door, right? And so the rest of these are not... Um, I've got to do this, I've got to live this way in order to um, first get in the door. That would be workspace, and that's not the teaching of the Bible. You come through a relationship where God calls you in his grace. All disciples have been called by God, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Not we first loved him, so he then returned the favor and said, R.D., you've loved me so well this year, I'm now going to love you, come follow me. No, he loves us first, initiates a relationship with us in his grace, and then invites us to the great cost, the great adventure of following him. But we, guys, we just got to be clear, because with all I'm about to lay out, that Jesus lays out, you will be crushed by the weight of not being good enough if you don't keep coming back to the reality that it's God who's called you to this. It's God who's woken you up to this. It's God who saved you from your sin, right, who's now made you a servant of Jesus and a son or a daughter of Jesus. So the gospel, as always, is what sustains our obedience to Jesus. That's number one. A disciple is called by God the Father. So you and I can always know that we're in. Even when we fail, even when we can't follow all of these commands, though we try really hard, God still loves us because he called us by his grace, not by our works, not by our effort. Okay, number one, called by God the Father. Number two, loves Jesus first. So Jesus says, if, if anyone comes to me, right, which means God calls them to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person could not be my disciple. You're thinking, man, hate is a strong word, right? Most of us don't even allow our kids to say that word, or we don't use that word very much. And so I just want to be clear here. Jesus obviously teaches to love your enemies. 
and to love anyone made in the image of God. So he doesn't literally mean hate. It's a Semitic expression that, that means lesser love. And he's being dramatic uh, to prove a point. So when he says hate, he means love these people less. Right? It's not have disgust for them. It's not be angry at them. It's love them less than you love God. And he doesn't pick things that you really don't love, right, which would be easy. He picks the people in your life that you love the most. Your mom, your dad, right? We get your grandparents, your children, even your own life. He's saying, if I am the Lord of your life, if I have saved you by my grace, and I have to be utmost in your allegiance, utmost in your affections, right? Discipleship is all about allegiance to Jesus. He is the one who calls us and who commands us. And if we have any other loves greater than him, then we're not actually following him at all. So it doesn't mean you can't love your children. I love my girls to death. I love my wife to death. I even, I, I love my life. But Jesus says, do not love those things more than you love the Savior of the world. Right? Because they're not even in the same category. In fact, though, it's, it's amazing how it works. As you love Jesus more and, and give him all of your life, you can then begin to love your children and your spouse uh, and even your own life more. Right? You love yourself more if you give Jesus first love. And so a disciple is someone who loves Jesus first, puts Jesus first, right, in terms of reading the scriptures regularly, praying regularly, asking God uh, what your will in my life is, right, uh, not being afraid of what may happen to you because you're putting Jesus first. How, how many of us do that, right? We don't always do it, but is there an inclination in your heart where you say, I want to put Jesus first. He is utmost in my affection. And you know what? I, I love my children. I love my spouse. I love my life. I love Jesus more. That's what a disciple does. Because of the calling of God, because of who called them. They say, I want to give my ultimate allegiance to, to him. Even though I love all these people, I don't, I don't want to love them more than God. Right? You need to love that which is eternal, eternally. And you're not eternal. Um, your kids aren't eternal. None of them are. Right? You were born at a certain point. You may live a long time, right? but only God is eternal. And so he's the only one worthy of all of our Affection. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, we're, a disciple is called by God, called to love Jesus first and foremost, ultimate allegiance to him above all things. Number three, a disciple is, is called to carry his or, or her cross. Verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is a hard teaching, right? In the first century, uh, the cross was an instrument of death, right? And this is even before Jesus has been raised from the dead. So up to that point, no one had come back from a crucifixion. And so this is a very, very, very difficult and, and hard teaching. He's saying, uh, and all around, especially Jerusalem, you would see crosses all around where uh, people would be executed on the cross. And so Jesus is saying, uh, if you really want to follow me, you, you have to be willing, one, literally, to possibly die on a cross for me. And then as Luke records in chapter 9, you have to daily give up your cross, daily die to yourself for my sake. Right? This is a hard teaching. Right? He doesn't say consider it you know, in terms of just kind of you know, think it's going to be an easy life and, and it's not that big of a deal. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. This instrument of, of death. Be willing to actually die and sacrificially die to yourself every single day. 
right? And so we can just say, yeah, I pick up my cross. It's my cross to bear. And say, man, if, if push came to shove, would you actually give up your life for Jesus? Right? Would you give up your life for him? Are you daily submitting everything in your life, all of your affection, all of your money, all of your time to Jesus? Right? Are, are you doing that? Are you picking up your cross and following him? It's daily, it's every single day, and it could possibly end in your death. For most people around the world who are Christians, it can. Right? In Western culture, we're very blessed in many ways where uh, we don't have that risk of death for being a Christian. But for the people in the first century, right, all the disciples who will be killed because right, they're picking up their cross and some uh, will go to the cross and be crucified themselves, right, they just had to see, is this worth it? Is it worth it to possibly be killed for this? Is this enough to possibly be killed for? Or are you willing to carry your cross? Are you willing to go to a cross? And die for the sake of the gospel. Okay, number four kind of sums up a lot of these things. I just said, follow, um, follow Jesus. So at the end, Jesus says, um, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot meet my disciples. So carrying your cross is I- integral to following Jesus, but following Jesus is even broader. And this is where we get into all kinds of things where we actually want to follow him. And that just means do what he says. Right? Do what Jesus says. Jesus has hundreds and hundreds of commands in the scripture that you and I should follow. And so he said, disciples of mine actually follow me. Right? They do what I do. What I've said, they actually try and practice in their own life. And that's how I know that they, they love me. Well, John chapter 14, Jesus says it. He says it this way, John 14, uh, verse 23. Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. We also want to look at 1 John, which is another just um, great passage on this. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. John writes this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, that that just seems very clear. If you really love Jesus, if you're really a disciple of Jesus, you have to live as he did, which means that you actually have to know what Jesus said life is all about. You actually have to follow him, follow his commands, right? And so we have to know him. If we don't know him, we can't follow him. And so we have to know him and follow him and trust him and obey him with joy, uh, not, not without joy, but with joy, because we remember that God called us into this relationship, and so he sustains the relationship, and even when we fall short, even when we can't obey everything, and we have really terrible days, or we just blew all the commandments, and we sinned incredibly, we can say, you know what, I didn't call myself into this relationship, and so it's not sustained by my obedience, it's sustained by the precious promise of God the Father on my life. And so now tomorrow there's new mercy, Lamentations chapter three. There's, there's new mercy tomorrow for me to once again, in the power of the spirit, follow Jesus Christ. Do what he says, love as I need to love, love the poor, pursue justice, love my wife, love my husband, 
right? Pursue my kids' hearts, right? Give my money sacrificially, be, do well at my job, make much of Jesus. All of these things you and I can only do if we're truly disciples of Jesus because otherwise we'll just be very afraid, right? We'll just be afraid of what people will say to us. We'll be afraid of how we'll look, how we'll come across. And there cannot be any fear in the life of a disciple because the only allegiance that you and I truly owe is to God our Father, and we want to we want to make much of him in a in a generous, kind, and yet truthful and clear, clear way. Remember who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So a disciple of Jesus uh, is called by God the Father, loves Jesus first, carries his or her cross, and follows Jesus by obeying his commands with joy. God is not after your kind of angry submission, right? He is after your joyful dependence and obedience to him. That only happens if, if the gospel has really grabbed hold of your heart. Okay, so that's a hard teaching, right? How many of you are feeling like, man, I am not even close? I'm not even close. I'm just, I'm kind of like, I'm attending church. I thought that was good enough. Oh, it's good, but it's not good enough, right? Jesus doesn't say, well, if you attend church and give 10% of your money, you are good. You can be my disciple. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, you've got to die. Right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. All of you, all of you, ladies, men, teenagers, just everybody. I don't care if you're nine or if you're 99. He bids you come and die every single day so that you can find your life. Okay, um, next section here. Uh, Jesus is going to unpack this with a couple of parable stories. Verse 28 Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So he elaborates on his teaching by, by kind of talking about um, uh, people would build towers sometimes outside their vineyards so they could see maybe robbers coming to take their grapes. And so he said, how many of you just would just start building a tower with no idea how much it would cost and no idea the materials you would need, right? You would never actually do that. You wouldn't do that. You, you would, in a word, count the cost of all that goes into that. That's what you would and I would do. We're supposed to do. Right? Won't you first sit down, take some time, and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And so he's saying, disciples need to consider the cost because the cost is high right? That's what it's going to cost to follow Jesus. You've got to actually stop and consider it. You can't just say, well, you know, I have, it's going to be easy or it's going to be great or I'm not really sure. Jesus says it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And if you aren't considering the cost of what it means to follow me, then you shouldn't follow me. You shouldn't be a part of me because it's not easy. It's the best life you can ever have because of who Jesus is. And it can also be the hardest life you can ever have because of the way the world is. And how it just pushes up against the ways of the kingdom of God. To consider, actually stop and, and consider. Well, the next one goes on. Verse 31. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything 
you have cannot be my disciples. So it's basically the same illustration with kind of a different point. So he's using kind of this war language of if you've got 10,000 troops and the enemy's got 20,000, how many of you are not at least going to think about, is this a good idea? Right? Because I don't think that acting on this right now is going to let me still be alive. And so he's both saying, you need to consider the cost of following me, and you also need to consider the cost of not following me. Right? What's that going to cost? Because there, there is an enemy out there that, that does not want you to follow me, but wants you to follow other things. And so, guys, we're always following someone. We're always following something. We're always being discipled by someone, by our culture, by, by what it says, or, or we're being discipled by the ways of Jesus. And so Jesus says, you, you, like, what do you want to give up for, for me? How much? Think about it. Stop, like, sit down and actually consider. Maybe even right now as you go home, home today thinking, man, what is it actually costing me right now to follow Jesus? Right, is, I mean, am I really giving up anything for him or am I not giving up that much actually? Or maybe consider what, what, what not following him actually, actually looks like. In the same way, Jesus says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Right? Give up everything you have. So he just kind of ends this section of the teaching by saying, everything you have, it's mine. Right? And so you and I have nothing that's ours. Right? Breath that you're breathing right now. <sighs> those of you who are breathing, this should apply to everyone. Okay? That, that's from God. God makes your heart but everything that you have is actually from God. Everything you have is, is God's. And he said, would you actually think that everything that you have is mine, and so give it all up to me, right? At, at least be oriented in your heart that, that way. Do not just keep storing up things for yourself right, right now. Jim Elliott, the missionary to Central South America, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Okay, i repeat that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was, was martyred for his faith um, over 60 years ago in Central South America as he and four friends tried to share the gospel with some, some native uh, Indians. And they were killed for that. But you know what? They already had everything. They, ever, they already gave up everything. And they found everything that they ever needed in Jesus. Right? This is what we're talking about here in discipleship. Friends, um, the cost of following Jesus is great. It's great. But the cost of not following him is even greater. Right? It's even greater. But I'm not going to sit here and say following Jesus is easy. Every day is a Friday. Every day is a weekend. That is a lie. It is difficult to follow Jesus. You know, for the Apostle Paul, he had a pretty sweet life. Right? Educated well, extremely intelligent, a Jew, but also a Roman citizen. Right? He was extremely righteous before the law. Right? He, he was working his way up the, uh, the, the Jewish um, ladder there. And then Christ knocked him off a horse and totally changed his life. And he said, he said this about giving up everything for Jesus in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all of that before garbage, right? He uses like the word dung, 
which is not a, not a good word, right? All of that before was just completely pointless because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is everything to me, and so I will do everything for him because of the assurance I have that God the Father called me to this, and Paul did it all, right? Attacked by snakes, shipwrecked, alone in uh, the ocean, right? In prison, beaten all the time, ended up getting killed for his faith, but he knew him who lasted into eternity, Jesus Christ, and so he could do everything, right? Do, do, I know Paul's like here, and we're just like, we're not Paul. All right, we don't have faith like that. Yeah, but you can. You can. Paul's a man. Just like us. Yes, he was used in remarkable ways by the Lord, but he is just a man of flesh and blood like you and I. Right? The, only, the way that you and I get faith like that is through faith in Jesus. It's through the assurance that, that the God who created us knows us, has called us to a great mission, to a great purpose, to make much of him with our lives. And we can give up everything for him. We can. Uh, just some, some other examples of, of people like that. Emily and I, uh, my wife... We have friends that are missionaries in Afghanistan. Yes, I said Afghanistan, okay? Not Atlanta, um, Afghanistan. And uh, friends we knew from Dallas, and they're going to Afghanistan. Of course, what was everybody's reaction for them going to Afghanistan? You're crazy. You're insane. You could be killed. And what, what are they thinking? They're thinking, man, hardly anyone in Afghanistan knows Jesus. But how can we not go? We're compelled to go because everything else compared to going on this is just garbage in our life. And so they were there a year and they kind of sent out an email and we're thinking, okay, they were there a year. They did their crazy thing for the Lord. Now it's time to come back and have the house and the kids and live in the burbs and all of that just kind of good stuff. But like, you've earned it. You've got a great crown in heaven. It's going to be big. Okay. And in the email, they say, we've been here a year in Kabul, you know, the, the capital you know, and they said, we were feeling like uh, we want to go somewhere more out there. And so they moved to the north of Afghanistan. And we're just, Ellen and I are like, okay, we have to give them money now. <laughs> we, like, we have to support them. We have to support them now because we are just terrible disciples. We're watching, we're watching Netflix, you know, and we're just in reading this thing. And we're like, what are we doing with our life? And it was a great kick in the pants. And maybe, God, maybe that's the Holy Spirit wants to do to you right now. It's just like kick you in the pants. And not in a guilt trip way, but just in a convictional way. Convictional. I don't think that's a word. Convict you. And just say, you don't have to move to Afghanistan. But what are you doing? Right? What are you, what are you doing for him? And so this couple just had a baby. Had him in the United States, and now they've moved back to Afghanistan with their, with their child. And they just keep saying, you know what, we're here because of Jesus. We're here because he's worth it. We're here because he said, pick up your cross, deny yourself, go to the nations and spread his glory among all people. And there are people here who are on their way to eternal separation with God. And God pressed on our hearts, go. And he's worth it. In life or in death, he's worth it. Well, a few more um, examples. Tawadris, Yusef Tawadris, I think that's his name, was um, beheaded by ISIS in February, a couple months ago. Um, I was reading um, a great website called Voice of the Martyrs, um, which just talks about disciples all over the world who are giving up everything for Jesus. Uh, his wife, um, Malaka, and their three children are grieving, and they, they interviewed them and just said, oh, God, what's it been like? Your, your husband was beheaded because he was a Christian, and so they're grieving, um, and they're just, man, this is, this is unbelievable. I can't believe that this... 
this happened, but I love what um, his wife said. Um, she said, you know what, if, if ISIS, if they want me or they want all three of our kids, it isn't too much to give for Christ. Right, that's the one who's counted the cost. If they want to come and take me or take my children, it is not too much to give for Jesus Christ. Right, that's powerful. Sadia Nayaga is a beautiful teenage girl who came to Christ in Uganda. She was promptly, after coming to Christ, she was promptly beaten by her father and abandoned, left, left basically for dead. She now lives with a husband and wife team in, in Uganda um, and 17 other abandoned children, children who profess their faith in Christ, their families abandoned them, left them to die, and these people are taking them in and raising them, abandoned because they profess faith in Jesus. Right? Do not love your parents, your father, your mother, your children. Do not even love these things more than you love me. And so for many people in the world, when they come to know Jesus, their family shuns them. Their family abandons them. In the first century, when the Jewish people were coming to faith in Christ, all of their family was abandoning them. All of their family was leaving them. And so Jesus says, you have to love me more than you love anything else in this world. Otherwise, you will not love me at all. Sadia, so she, she gets it. Beautiful teenage girl who's been abandoned by her earthly father, but man, not by her heavenly father. It's worth it. Listen, true disciples have an affection, an allegiance, and an obedience to Jesus. We have an affection for Jesus. We love him supremely, right? Our hearts are stirred by the gospel. We're moved by the gospel. We have an allegiance to him over any other ties in this world. He is our first love, our first priority, and we obey him, not to earn his love, but because you and I have already received it. We have deep affection. We have allegiance, and we obey him. We follow him because to not do that is just unthinkable because of who he is. Man, what, what do we face in our country to follow Jesus? Not a lot, right? I mean, we don't, we don't face being beheaded. We don't face being, being killed. Often what we'll face is just feeling awkward around people, right? Which is an idol because we fear man more than we fear God. Right? And we just want to put that before the Lord. And so I just meant, what are you willing to lose for the sake of Jesus? What are you willing to give up? Your, 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 like, just your face, right? Saving face, um, your comfort level. What are you risking to show the world that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is on the throne? What are you willing to risk for that? Because you can't risk too much. I don't care what you are. If you're a stay-at-home mom, right? If you're a senior citizen, if you're a 14-year-old boy or a girl, right? It doesn't matter, we say, well, we'll get to following Jesus like that when we're, you know, when we're, when we're older. Or, man, when I was in college, that's when I followed Jesus, right? Seasons change. I get that, right? There are different ways that you can serve. But Jesus doesn't put excuses on this, right? He doesn't say, well, when you're single, that's when you go crazy. Then you get married, you just kind of calm it down, right? No, guys. Um, no, right? To follow Jesus is to follow him fully at all phases of our life. All of that is for, for him. So what are you willing to lose so that Jesus is known in our city, 
that your neighborhood knows it, right? That your, um, your friends know it. You don't have to be a jerk about it, okay? You don't have to just kind of just keep yelling at people. That's not helpful at all. But is there a part of you where other people say, you know what, I know you know Jesus because I can see it in the way you live your life. <sighs> Man, that we'd be people like that. The last part here just says, verse 34, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Right? Salt is a, is a preservative. Right? And so it is attached to meat and to other types of food to kind of bring flavor out. And if it loses its flavor, then it's useless. And so as Christians, right, as the church now, we are attached to the world, but not in the world, right? Loving the world, loving our city, but not necessarily practicing everything the world or our city practices, but we're there to bring out the flavor of Jesus, right? We're there to make much of Jesus. We're the salt attached to the world, bringing dead things to life and making them taste really good because of who Jesus is. And if you lose that, if we forget that, if we're just people coming to church and kind of gathering here and just saying rah, 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 you know, whatever, then that's not going to make a difference in the world, right? Jesus is about making disciples, right? And more and more disciples, people who actually follow him because what Madison does not need is just more churchgoers. We need more disciples, people laying down their life for King Jesus willing to do these things. And that's what I just want to press you hard and say, are you willing to do that church? Are you willing right now to say, you know what? I haven't been following as I need to. I know God loves me. I know God accepts me. I'm not worried about that, but I know there's more. I know there's more. I've just been kind of living the American dream. And I haven't been living the Jesus dream, which is much harder, but much, God, it's much better, guys. Do not leave here motivated by guilt. Do not leave here saying, man, I just got beat up because I'm a terrible Jesus follower. I'm just, don't. Right, don't. The Holy Spirit should be convicting you right now and say there is more to give. There is more to sacrifice. There is more. The Holy Spirit right now, I pray, is working in your heart and saying, where can you be a disciple of Jesus? Where can you press in more? Because he's worthy, guys. Man, he's worthy. He is so worthy. I'll just close with this, with this story um, that I read the other day, once again, from also from Voice of the, Voice of the Martyrs. It is just an unbelievable story. Um, it's uh, Brother uh, Sadavir, who was in India, and he regularly would share his faith with people in, uh, in tribes around him. He was kind of known as the Christian guy, right? And especially in India, where very few people are Christians, he stood out. Uh, members of a kind of a militia party kind of learned about him and saw him, and they threatened that to kill him. That's what they threatened to do. And um, in 2015, uh, that's exactly what happened. His wife, Jenny, opened the door to find a mob of, of 200 people. The mob entered their home, grabbed Sadavir, and took him away. Jenny, the wife, ran after the group into the forest, pleading for her husband's safety and release. Pleading for it. She was told, go. In the morning, get food and come back to our camp. We won't kill him. At the camp, the leaders were told, he's converting all of our people. So even at the camp, Brother Xavier is converting everyone there. It just sounds like the Apostle Paul. But because of that, they tied him to a tree. And there in front of his wife, his mother, and his sister, they beat his legs to death. 
and said, you are spoiling our culture by converting our people to Christ. Then they killed him by piercing his heart with a spear in front of his wife and his mother and his sister. This man who has two beautiful girls. At the end of of that story, um, his wife his wife said, we knew this could happen, but we have a treasure that cannot be taken away. What, what's that treasure? Well, it's this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul writing, someone who knows well about suffering and pain. This is what Paul says. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We have this treasure that the world can't take and a spear to the heart cannot take. And we have a Savior who bore the cross for us, who carried the cross for us, who lived his life in complete devotion to God and said, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up that cross. You need to put me first. You need to quit playing games with all this other stuff and actually be committed to me fully. Remembering I called you to this. And even if they kill you, they can't take away your life. They can't do it. Are you willing? Are you ready? You want to follow that king wherever he takes you? Man, I pray you do. It's worth it. He's the only one who's worth that. He really is. Man, let's pray. Our Father, we love you, and we thank you that you love us. You called us to be disciples. You called us to follow you. What an honor that is to even be called to follow you, that you would let us do that. I pray that we would follow you, Jesus. We would count the cost. We would count the cost, and we would follow you. You're worth it. You're so worth it. Wherever we are, I pray, Spirit, you'd convict us, change us right now, and send us out to be different to be different. That's what our city needs. People just going crazy for Jesus. Father, make it so. Make it so. In the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen.